to the NC Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the host and founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its members club for landlords and property investors to come and build profitable property portfolios that completely align with their goals. As well as that, I have other programs and other services that I think you're going to want to go and check out on my brand new website. Guys, I've spent months overhauling this. So go to ncrealestate.co.uk to find out more. Today, I am super excited to welcome Tony Wallace onto the podcast. Tony has over 15 years industry experience, is currently the head of lettings and property management at Rooney Auctioneers, very good with property investment strategy and all things property management. And we know each other because Tony lectures at UCM. We're going to be working together on the undergraduate property management modules for any of you that potentially listening and coming on that this semester. Um, also, Tony also lectures at Cork College of Commerce and Technolo- Technological University Dublin on topics such as valuations and property management. Tony also helped develop and lectures on the residential landlord and tenant course run by the Irish Property Owners Association. Hi, Tony. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. I'm great. Delighted to be here. Delighted to be on this podcast. So excited to have you. You're a man after my own heart with your finger in so many pies. I think like that's the way the property industry nowadays, right? You get involved with everything. Absolutely. But the beauty about properties, I'm sure you can appreciate is there's just more than one thing uh, when it comes to property. It's not just sales, there's lettings, there's management, there's investments, there's valuing the investment, asset managing it. So uh, if I do more or just one thing, I get bored. But property allows allows my adventurous um, uh, personality to go off into various different areas. So I enjoy all those different pies that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. So let me ask then, how did you get to where you are today? Because you've had a very career. So tell me, in a brief summary, how did you get to where you are right now? You know why I'm actually bald, if you can see it, once I get to the end of this uh, brief description. Um, when, when, when I was quite young, when I was in school, I was absolutely obsessed with property. Why there was different types of property, what it was used for, where it was located, why it was located, etc., etc. And um, I got uh, work experience uh, when I was in, in school. And when I was in the work experience, I just fell in love with the lifestyle. And it was without question, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Uh, that decision was made at like 14 years of age, uh, a bit older now. So unfortunately, um, in the Lehman Circle, as we call it here in Ireland or GCSEs in the UK, I didn't get enough points um, to get into the real estate course uh, full time. So I dyed my hair back to its natural color. I took my earring out and I borrowed money uh, to buy a suit and I knocked in every single surveyor's door um, and I said I'd walk for free. Uh, just let me in the door. I'm hungry for this. And that happened. And um, I got in the door of uh, an agent here in uh, in, in Limerick, worked uh, there full time for six months and also um, continued to work part time to, 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 to pay my way. Then uh, one of the bigger property managers in town opened up their own firm, took me on, paid for my exams in Dublin and gave me my first salary, spent the first seven years with that firm in exclusively 
property management. And of course, as you said, I, I get very adventurous and I wanted to know everything about property, the whole circle uh, from start to finish. So I went about uh, continuing on my education. I moved to various uh, locations within the, the island of Ireland. I got involved in auction sales, um, private treaty sales, um, also uh, while, while with um, property management and also continues to be very interested in what drives value and how do you come up with opinion of value and so on and so forth. I'm very intrigued, intrigued by that. Continue to educate and eventually I was hired by a firm who showed me the way, the valuation way of life um, while managing uh, a portfolio. And that's, that's, that's really a short synopsis of my industry experience. And because I was so uh, interested um, and pretty much glued to any kind of education offering that was available, I find myself now giving back, which I really enjoy, to the future property managers, future valuers, uh, through the various locations, as you, as you mentioned at the top of, of your podcast. So I find myself in full-time industry, part-time uh, education as a result. And uh, it helps recently engaged and bought a house and doing it up. So it helps to pay for all that. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and it's amazing how people fall into the, into the industry. Everybody has their own individual uh, stories, which I find so much more interesting than the typical, like standard career path. So thank you for sharing that. Essentially guys, take the message away that if you want to get into property, you can be here. So let me ask about how have you seen the market changing in Ireland? Is the local market in Limerick doing well? How about compared to the rest of the Irish market? What's going on at the moment? It's, it's, it's an interesting trend when you look back at just kind of Ireland as, as a whole for the last, I'd say, let's go back to 2006, 2007, mm -hmm. when it was very much viewed, and we didn't realise it at the time, but it was very much viewed that values were at its height, or at the height that they possibly could go. Um, but what we didn't understand at the time, and I think this is fair to say about a lot of uh, real estate markets throughout the world, is was it was a false economy where the houses' prices were fueled by large amounts of, of, of debt or people acquiring debt who really couldn't afford to pay back that debt. And an example of that is a person, an investor who has their own home, but is investing at getting a hundred and a hundred and ten percent mortgage to buy an investment property, um, and the extra ten percent for furniture, uh, because it was seen as that your property will go up in value in the next six months. Don't worry about that ten percent. Absolute lunacy when I think back on it, right? Lunacy, but that was the reality of it. And then when the marks, market start, started to dip. And then the banks and the issues with the banks and lending so on and so forth started to unfold and got worse and worse and worse. The demand went down and down and down and down goes the prices. Large, I think it was something like 30% of the stock in, in, in Ireland was vacant uh, from 2012 to 2014. But then all of a sudden things started to recover. Uh, what was recovering was we kept our graduates. More multinational companies were setting up camp in, in Ireland. Facebook, Google were expanding, Pfizer. We have Regenron, large Appler here as well. Large multinational companies ex expanding and staying in Ireland because they enjoy uh, our demographic. We're educated, um, 
predominantly were, were living and working in, if not the capital region cities, were well connected, good broadband, but also uh, have good links into uh, Europe and English speaking as well, which helps these American companies. So they started to grow. The population started to grow as a result. Um, and and um, the demand for property started to increase. But our, our, our stock, our housing supply, our, our commercial property, they just stopped building during the recession years. So then we had this imbalance of, of supply and demand and on came on our housing crisis. And there's been various things that have um, been put in place to try and stop the capital appreciation or the rate of appreciation, like the designation of rent pressure zones being one of them. But a, pre, a capital appreciation on investment properties have continued to grow. Mm-hmm. And I, I would feel that it's continuing, going to continue to grow at uh, a modest rate because the lending is still there. Now, we're no longer at 110% mortgage rate. We're now at 70%. Uh, which I think is more realistic, and the cost of finance is so much, somewhat more viable. But on, uh, so it's continuing to to head in the right direction. And often the question comes then is, well, what did COVID do? And in reality, uh, at the time of this broadcast, COVID has done has absolutely had no impact on the residential market. We'll talk about other areas in a moment on the residential market because um, mortgage repayments are subsidised. Tenants' wages are subsidised, and also uh, rents themselves are subsidised. So we're helped, we're protected. We're, 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 yeah, we're protected if you want. If if the minute that protection unravels and the amount of jobs we have go back to reduces, um, then we will see a retraction in the market. I would feel, but what I've seen happen is. These large companies that we so rely upon for employment and so on and so forth aren't packing up their bags, aren't leaving uh, as they once did in, uh, in 2007, 2008, are in actual fact adjusting to the COVID world that we now live in. Jobs are being kept. It's just how we work has changed. Now, in terms of retail, retail is very, very, very hardly hit at the moment for obvious reasons in terms of trying to physically go out and shop. But what we noticed is the demand for office space, which would have been around, on average, 100 square meters, they're no longer interested in 100 square meters. They want 250, 300 square meters of office space because they want their staff in there to allow for the two-meter distancing, et cetera, et cetera. Sorry, I should say that office space prior to now, they would have been operating out of home or in a small office. Now we need bigger space on comes a demand. But likewise, Warehousing, I've seen, um, like for argument's sake, um, I know it's, it's a very controversial thing to say at the moment, but unfortunately Debenhams uh, have gone into liquidation, as we know, but Debenhams are, are, are still operating online. They have an online platform, and therefore they need a warehouse to hold their stock so they can sell their stock. And an awful lot of companies are like that. I call it the Argos model, which has been here for years, uh, but is only kind of coming to fruition now with other companies. So to answer your question, the, uh, the real estate market in Ireland as a whole seems to be holding its own. I expect modest increases with the exception of retail, which I think will retract back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there dread over Brexit 
because I have been reading, I, I keep abreast of this because I, I think it's important. It's the one thing that seemingly slipped under the mark, under the radar in uh, England and people need to be talking about it more because I think it's gonna have an effect. Do you think there's dread over Brexit in the local market or do you think this will help bolster the market? In terms of the real estate market? In terms of the real estate market, yeah. It's, um, I think there was a funny statistics or uh, statistic that, that, that came up that the applications for Irish passports kind of doubled overnight. <laughs> <laughs> once, once, once it was clear that Britain were leaving and UK were leaving the EU block and, you know, we're like, yeah, sure, no problem. Come on in. No problem. Sit down. I'll boil the kettle. There's no problem. Um, it, there's, there's a strong, um, there's not really concern in terms of Brexit. Uh, what I mean by that is when Brexit was first spoken about and then when the, the systems were put in place, we saw, and this is more Dublin-based, we saw a uh, renewed interest in um, office space, grade A office space in the capital or any, uh, uh, any area within the regional cities, within the motorway, from companies who are predominantly based in the UK that their clients uh, and are feeding into Europe. And unfortunately, without the, that uh, easy access into Europe, they saw great value in locating to Dublin mm -hmm. or to Galway, Limerick, Cork, um, because they'll still be operating in the EU uh, market. Now, what has that done? Effectively, I think it was in 2018, from an office point of view, effectively, it was kind of discussed that from an office accommodation point of view, we're full. We can't take anymore. We'd love to have it. And that influx came in when Brexit, when the when the bill uh, went, 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 went passed through uh, Parliament. And um, wow. yeah, it was, so it's kind of a, there's a positivity. Now, bearing in mind uh, from, from, from an Irish point of view, um, you know, there's the free movement of people that exist. That, that, that treaty was agreed in the 70s and renewed uh, between Theresa May and Simon Coveney uh, two years ago, where essentially both Irish and British uh, citizens can live and work in, in, in each other's countries, mm -hmm. um, obviously within reason. Um, so there's not this kind of scare, or we're not scared of it, it's in actual fact, it's had multinational companies look at Ireland who have never would have looked at Ireland before. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Okay, so it's positive. That's good because it's not all, all that positive depending on who I speak to. So that's good to hear. So let's talk valuations. These are also... just, just, just before we move off, oh. can I just say Britain? Okay, we don't want to lose Britain out of the European bloc and if it happens, no problem at all. But can we have John Burkow? Can we keep him in the divorce? <laughs> <laughs> I love that man. And if he's listening to this podcast, please get in touch. I'd love to buy that chap a coffee. He's just, he's just, oh, yeah, I can't get enough of that. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you need him as part of your trade deal. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, no. I want him. Bring him over here. Him, him and his funky ties as well, you know. Really, I don't know the man. The man is brilliant, and I really like his. <laughs> I really like his honesty and opinions, and uh, I'll be I'll be buying his book that's for sure. But uh, yeah, so you know, Britain leave leave Europe. Okay, fine. I'm going to miss you, 
but can we have John Burko in the divorce, please? <laughs> I love that. What a request. <laughs> Maybe he could be your speaker of the house. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course. Now, my fiancé or my wife-to-be would have something to say on that. But... <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk valuations. They are always a contentious issue. You are somewhat of a valuations expert. And you, you I mean, valuations is something that I always say on this podcast. I don't go as far as valuations. Um, so I'm going to ask you, where do you start with a valuation in residential property compared to commercial property? It's, it's, it's a funny kind of aspect, I suppose. The biggest difference, um, the biggest difference I find uh, in, in residential versus commercial is actually emotion, um, where a residential investor um, is almost motivated and fueled by emotion and pride. Um, while a commercial investor will be more strategic and fact-based and researching and finding, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that's, that's a very general statement to make. Um, I know there's, there's various, um, there's not all investors are like that. But I do find that when it comes to valuing uh, residential property, uh, you got to take your emotion out of it. Uh, I lived up the road. I know someone that used to live next door, et cetera, et cetera. You got to step step away from that and then look at the trends surrounding that property. Mm -hmm. And as you've often spoken about, Natasha, comparable evidence, which is huge, right? Huge. But it's not, to me, it's not good enough to just see what next door sold for. That's your price. Fantastic. So therefore, the price of the subject property is X. Mm -hmm. Um to me, that's a really flawed and 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 amateurish, right? What really and truly, I prefer to not just find three comparable evidence, but also maybe to find five, see a common trend, and also build up a good relationship with the sales agent, because the sale agent will tell you, yeah, you know what, that went too high, because there was a vetted interest there, uh, it went bidding because two neighbors wanted it. So it went high and high and high. Therefore, the, the price that was cheap was a bit inflated. Or it could be the opposite. We should have got more, but we weren't on the market long enough. Mm -hmm. um, but if you look at your comparable evidence and analyze your trend, um, I, I, I would think it will tell you an awful lot. Mm -hmm. Often I find in the biggest, the biggest mistake people make is, oh, should the one around the corner sold for whatever, 200,000 euros, pounds? Therefore, mine is worth two hundred and fifty thousand because I have nicer curtains. You know this this type of mentality. It's to to analyze the comparable evidence and and recognize the trend and then adopt your own opinion based on your findings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, and so with commercial, then that how does that differ? Commercial is, I suppose, residential is predominantly comparable evidence. Commercial is there's if five ways to value. Uh, a commercial property um, and I would love to go through the five different ways in detail whereas you told me you only have me for so many minutes so we're not going to do that now <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a whole different do you know what that's a whole different academic term is what that is um, but how does it differ it differs in terms of what's been generated out of the building what's the rental income coming out of it how strong is that income how strong is that person that company paying that income 
um, is, is, for argument's sake, is the hotel making money? Is it run too well? Is it not run well enough? Is, is a restaurant or a bar, is it meeting certain criteria? When you remove a very efficient director from running a, a good company, um, um, well, how, how efficient is it then? Will that affect the value of it? Is there goodwill involved? Nursing homes are very intriguing to me as well. Again, all around profitability. But it goes a, a, a commercial point of view. To me, it's stats and facts. It's rental income. It's profitability. And also the yields that's applied to those, to those figures. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a good way of distinguishing between it. How have you seen valuations change over the last couple of months? Have you seen any difference? Well, in terms of when you say valuations, as in the value of property over the last couple of months, or yeah, with all of the big changes in the world with COVID, how have you have you seen that change in any way? Or do you know it's it, it's very funny. We 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 were locked down. Uh, not that COVID is funny. That's not what I mean. Um, the lockdown came in March, and essentially we weren't allowed to open our offices to the public until uh, June, June the second. And um, at that time, I the morning, I think it must have been five or six phone calls I got from clients um, saying, oh, right, I have money in my account. I want to invest. Uh, is a good value for property uh, going? You know, it created this. Well, I suppose what's, what's important to, to remember is that during the lockdown, we're still in jobs. You know, our wages are subsidized. Should there be, should there be an issue? Money is still there. We just, we cannot actively spend our money. So the, the, the eager, the confidence and the want to invest in property didn't go away during COVID. In actual fact, the pent up interest just grew. And it was like, I want to invest now, you know. So my, when the door opened, the phone rang and it was kind of, it created this bit of a surge. Now, there is um, a slight, this confidence has slightly been removed in terms of who knows what, what, what COVID will bring. My response to COVID is absolutely devastating to the world. Of course it is. But it will come and go. Um, a vaccine will be found. We will move on. It will be something we will tell our children and grandchildren about. Mm -hmm. um, but it hasn't solved our housing crisis, nor has it got rid of uh, the appetite for commercial investors. So um, in the, the six months that we were in lockdown, I would have said values held their own, and I think they would have slightly increased uh, from then to now, uh, slightly increased then to now, maybe one, two percent. Mm -hmm. So what would you advise any current investor to look for when buying property in today's market? Do you think that would have changed since before COVID? How do you, how should an investor look at and approach the market? Again, take take emotion out of it. Um, I, I have come across clients time and time again that bought property for the sake of having property. And to me, that's a big issue. That's a big problem because you can buy bad property too. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I've found that, especially in the recessionary years, that when you bought bad and have borrowed heavily on a bad uh, property, bad lo located property, should I say, it's the first to fall in the recession, very difficult to fill or to rent, and the last to recover. So point one, location, location, location. And there's no getting around that. Your warehouse should be within a uh, motorway network. Your office should be in a strong demographic demographic area 
where there's high education, good broadband, um, your residential property should be where people want to live. Um, your retail uh, should have high footfall levels, you know, large window display units, they should have a cluster, so on and so forth. Think of the end user and how suitable your property is to that end user. Very simplistic approach. Um, you've often spoken about yields, Natasha, and rates of returns, so on and so forth. And that is very important, but first and foremost, location and think of your end user. There's no sense in buying a warehouse in the middle of a residential estate. And you'd, you'd be surprised the, um, for want of a better word, uh, ignorance, or yeah, maybe ignorance or, or pride that fuels investors to say, well, I have a portfolio of property, but if it's not making money for you, it's not worth a damn. No, definitely not. And do you think that these, because lenders and valuers do look at demand and how quickly um, a property will let and what it will be bringing in. Do you think going forward that's going to be more at the top of the agenda and affect the loan to value and interest rates? Certainly. I mean, what, what I often find uh, has been happening, uh, COVID or no COVID, is that generally the lender and the investor will talk and amongst the two of them, they will say, well, if you can get a tenant that will pay X amount of rent, we'll lend you the money. Um, that X amount of rent then is decided between the banker and the investor. And then they go to the valuer and the valuer says, no, <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> that's not quite realistic. And it all falls apart very quickly. And that's the one thing that the recession has been, uh, has been very good for is to, to get rid of that um, kind of perception of, sure, any tenant will pay anything. And if you can put it down right, fantastic. Now here's a million or treat yourself. Um, sorry, I've lost the question. Can you repeat the question again? <laughs> yes. So do we, do we think that the demand is going to have more of an impact on loan to value and interest rates than it has done previously? Because usually it's just comparable rents, look at where the market is, look at what the local value is. But do you think that there's going to be more of a spread of risk from lenders who are looking at different types of property and they're saying well hold on a minute no one's coming to take that property from you hell no you know i'd like to think so i'm not convinced really? uh, that that's the way i do like to think so like you know i understand the method banks take in terms of your your interest rate is based on the risk that the bank will take in investing in your property so on and so forth i don't see that level of that way of thinking going into investing it's more on the lines of i want a property and i, I want to go buy it there is various i suppose the loan to value needs to be at 70 percent for commercial um and I, I believe it can be as high as 80 percent in certain circumstances in, in residential it's that element there as opposed to interest rates it's that element that loan to value uh, i think that will change uh, based on the risk and I would encourage any investor to have that loan to value as low as absolutely possible because remember I suppose something in paper in terms of getting uh, borrowings generating rent you got to pay back the bank debt doesn't come free and it doesn't come cheap 
So I would I would spread risk in terms of your portfolio diversity through warehousing, retail, office, residential, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But also take baby steps in terms of uh, if 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 you're going to the bank looking for seventy percent, well maybe think in the next twelve months can you save up and then go to the bank for fifty percent because that twenty percent saving on debt that you borrow could save you hundreds of thousands. Um, do I do I see banks taking the same mentality? No, I think if they meet certain criteria and tick the boxes, they give out the money. Um, but I would encourage investors to do your research on 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 how much debt actually costs. Mm-hmm. That's a really really good point. Or at the very least, start paying it down pretty quickly to just try and alleviate against the increase in in interest. Actually- because like. When, 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 when the market hits, like so we're going in circles, real estate circles. So if you find yourself at high interest levels and high amounts of debt and your loan to value is perceived to be 70% and then you go and try and sell it and realize, well, maybe it's closer to 95%. That's where it comes. That's, where, that's when the chickens come home to roost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just thought of a, another question I wanted to ask you about because there is so much scaremongering in the property market. I don't know if you get it in uh, your your local papers, but across social media, which has run riot the industry over the last couple of months, um, it's now a lot of scaremongering about the fact that property prices are too high, next year property prices are going to be low, all of this kind of crystal ball looking at the world and people getting just in their heads about it. What would you say to that? What would you say to people who listen to sources that they've never verified? What would you say about act? How how should you conduct yourself in the market? I think I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of verifying the sources, because there's a bucket load of information out there that you can accept to be the truth, um, but in reality, is it? Like I often see statistics on. Um, like our version, uh, right moves and um, the Dibla? Zoopla. Uh, uh, our answer to that is daft.ie and myhome.ie. Um, and the publications that come from those websites uh, um, will suggest that prices are going up, down, left, right, whatever the case may be. But they're not, the data they're going off of is asking prices. Asking prices are fueled by vendors' expectations. They don't reflect the end price. Um, the end price will appear on what we are. We have our regulator called the Property Services Regulator Authority. They publish a, a price which clearly states what an office rented for, what a warehouse rented for retail, and also what a residential property sold for. So that that verification is very very important. Also. Um, listen, I suppose, think about the person you're listening to. What qualifies them to tell you that it's a bad time to invest? It's a good time to invest. What have they done? What education have they got? Are they an economist? Have they invested in property themselves? To me, um, and I'd love to know your view on, on, on this, Natasha, but to me is if you want legitimate property prices, or, sorry, property advice, should I say. And I mean legitimate property price. Go to a property manager or go to a valuer. Um, 
Why I say that is a valuer is constantly researching and reporting on market conditions and formulating an opinion on value based on tangible evidence. And they're doing, or they're formulating that opinion with the knowledge that they would be audited or regulated and have to stand over those words for better or for worse. Right? So their opinion, they need to have it backed up. A property manager is living and breeding, working with tenants and landlords every day for better or for worse. So my view is that if you want property advice, talk to your property manager, talk to your valuer. There you'll get a factual report of what's going on. But I'd love, I'd love your view. I, I completely agree. And people who are in the market all of the time, because the one thing that people won't speak to valuers is because they, they don't want to pay money for advice, which it really gets my goat because if you want, if you want to know the exact situation of the market, you go find the valuer who specializes in that area when you ask them. But again, phone up local agents, find out what they've got to say, and then do your due diligence. My gosh, like you have to be so on the ball with what values are. And last week on the podcast, I was talking about the fact that um, where I invest in property in Bath, earlier on this year, I bought property for 260,000 um, pounds. The property opposite, has come on the market, same size flat, top floor walk up, come on the market at 395. And I was joking about how either, either I've made a lot of money or they just, you know, they, they've decided where the market is. But that's not necessarily fact. And if I got that agent to come and value mine, that's not necessarily fact either. I would need to ask the local valuers and probably the valuer who came and valued mine would have a very good understanding of um, where the prices were. But again, you're right, like local experts who are on the ground and we all have our subject specific areas that we're very good at and we're very knowledgeable at, but it's the people who actively take the time to follow the market, the people who are gonna have the information for you. No one, not anybody who's just, you know, watching national trends, because that doesn't mean anything. And to, to compare and contrast, we will, no problem in the world, hire a building surveyor to issue a report on the structure of the property because we don't want to buy a property that doesn't have a good structure because it's going to be costly. Um, and no problem at all um, will think twice about paying that that surveyor for that report because we, 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 we see that, oh, well, okay, if the house or the building is falling down, there's no sense in buying it. Sometimes you have to spend this money to find out that this purchase is not right for you. And as you often say, Natasha, your investment goals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. Okay, final question. How do you see the property market changing over the coming 12 months? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, like, if we, if we get a, a vaccine, I see an acceleration on capital appreciation. Mm-hmm. If we don't get... Um, a vaccine, I see a suppressed appreciation. And I use the word appreciation uh, for a reason. As I say, the multinational companies that we so rely upon in this country for, for employment uh, are not leaving, are not packing their bags and going home. They have adapt, adapted their workforce to work around COVID. Our housing crisis in this country has not been resolved 
And it looks like reading up and planning policy and I've attended serious political meetings out, it looks like it won't be resolved anytime soon. So, but unfortunately, because of our COVID, there is a slight bit of confidence that has been removed from the market. So I think the rate of appreciation will be modest once the vaccine is, 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 is available to us. That, that capital appreciation or that rate of appreciation, I feel, will speed up. Amazing. Fingers crossed for a vaccine. Uh, absolutely. We'll be, talk- <laughs> we'll be talking in 12 months and, and the, the property market will have gone off the cliff and you're like, Tony, what were you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope not. I really hope not. <laughs> no, I, 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 I really don't think it will be because, you know, as I say, multinational companies, the jobs are still there. Um, they're still there to go back to. And if you're not working in an office, you're working from home or you're split between both. So, um, I would, I would see that trend continue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tony, this has been fabulous. Thank you for coming on my podcast <laughs> today. I really, really appreciate it. For everybody who's listening, if you've loved this podcast, please leave a review and make sure that you share it. Leave a comment, tell us how you found it and make sure that you come back and listen again every single Tuesday. Thank you for listening to us today. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.